Welcome to Arbitral Insights, a podcast series brought to you by our international arbitration practice lawyers here at Reed Smith. I'm Jose Estigarraga, Global Head of Reed Smith's International Arbitration Practice. I hope you enjoy the industry commentary, insights, and anecdotes we share with you in the course of this series, wherever in the world you are. If you have any questions about any of the topics discussed, please do contact our speakers. And with that, let's get started. Welcome back to the next episode of Arbitral Insights, which will focus on key updates to the 2021 ICC arbitration rules. I'm JP Duffy. I'm an international arbitration partner at Reed Smith based in New York that acts as both counsel and arbitrator in international arbitration seated around the world under a variety of governing laws and arbitral rules, including the ICC arbitration rules. And I have the pleasure today of being joined by Claudia Solomon. Claudia is currently the global co-chair of the International Arbitration Group at Latham & Watkins, and she's based in New York. And critically, it was recently announced that Claudia has been selected as the incoming president of the ICC International Court of Arbitration, effective July 1, 2021, which puts her on the path to becoming the first female president of the ICC court in its almost 100-year history. Claudia really has some unique perspectives that she can offer in that regard on the amendments found in the ICC rules, and we're thrilled to have her joining us today. So with that, let me just give a bit of background to set the table before we start our discussion. The ICC arbitration rules are some of the most frequently used in the world, if not the most frequently used. They were last amended in 2012 and again in 2017 with significant changes like emergency arbitrators, which were added in 2012, multiple contracts and multiple party provisions, which were also added in 2012, and expedited procedures that were added in the 2017 amendments. Given that, Claudia, I'd like to know what prompted the ICC to issue the 2021 amendments. Thank you, JP, and thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to talk about the ICC rules and the 2021 amendments. The rules are amended periodically to meet the needs of users and to respond to the evolving dispute resolution landscape. The current president of the ICC court, Alexi Moore, recently commented that the 2021 rules mark another step toward greater efficiency, flexibility, and transparency in international arbitration. And these rules make ICC arbitration even more attractive for both large complex arbitration and smaller cases. I just should note the new rules will enter into force on January 1st, 2021. The 2017 rules will thus continue to apply for all cases registered with the court before January 1st. And also before year end, the ICC court will release an updated version of its note to parties and arbitral tribunals on the conduct of arbitration. And that was last amended in January 2019. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's really going to be interesting to see how these rules improve the process, which is already really, really good under the ICC rules. With that, let's jump into some of the specific changes that have been made. And I wanted to start with joinder and consolidation. 
Claudia, what are, in your view, what are the most important changes that the 2021 amendments make to the joinder and consolidation provisions found in Articles 7 and 10? And what are the practical implications of those changes? Sure. So the ICC is very well known for its experience dealing with complex, high-value, multi-party, and multi-contract arbitrations. Multi-party and multi-contract disputes are particularly prevalent in, for example, the construction and energy sectors, which account for approximately 40% of the ICC caseload. You know, we see multi-party and multi-contract disputes in the construction sector such as dealing with disputes between owner, contractor, and subcontractor. We also see them in the financial sector between lender, borrower, and guarantor, and of course, a myriad of other sectors. So the amendments to Article 7 and 10 make the ICC rules even more suitable to these cases. So the new provision in Article 7.5 allows the joinder of additional parties in the course of arbitration, and an amendment to Article 10b allows the consolidation of cases involving different parties. Okay, so just to give a little bit of background, Article 7.5 on joinder. Well, first of all, just Article 7 on joinder was newly added in 2012. Before then, there wasn't even a procedure in the rules for joinder of parties, although the court had developed various practices. So this new paragraph in the 2021 rules, Article 7.5, allows the arbitral tribunal to join at the request of any party, and that's key. It has to be a request from a party to join a consenting additional party to the arbitration after the tribunal has been constituted. In the previous rules, no joinder was allowed after confirmation or appointment of any arbitrator unless all of the parties agreed, including the additional party. But now the tribunal can allow joinder with the consent of only one existing party and the party to be joined if it's in the interest of efficiency. So importantly, For such joinder to proceed, the additional party must accept the constitution of the tribunal that's taken place before its joining and agree to the terms of reference if those have already been concluded. This essentially, the step of allowing joinder after the tribunal has been constituted in specific circumstances really does promote efficiency and flexibility particularly when the need for joinder arises or becomes apparent as the case unfolds. This includes, for example, situations when an additional party that was not named uh, claimant or respondent at the outset of the proceeding turns out to have a vested interest in the outcome of the dispute. Yeah, you know, this is a really, really interesting change because it is one of the thorniest issues that can arise in arbitration. And, you know, as you pointed out, this certainly comes up quite a bit in the construction context, the energy context, as you mentioned, the financial services context. But increasingly, it comes up in in other areas, as you mentioned as well, like life sciences, where you may have large licensing disputes and you have multiple parties involved. And for either you know, for whatever the reason, be it strategic or otherwise, parties have not been named in the request, and yet those parties do have an interest. So all these clarifications are really, really helpful. 
and certainly do make the process much more efficient because those issues are increasingly prominent as you get multi-party disputes. Let's talk a bit then, Claudia, if you could, about consolidation and expanding on some of the some of the changes that have been made there in the 2021 rules. Certainly. So just to clarify some of the terminology in ICC arbitration, the term consolidation is used to refer to a procedural mechanism whereby two or more pending arbitrations are merged into a single arbitration. So that enables a single tribunal to decide all the issues, which is typically more efficient and less expensive. Uh, Consolidation also eliminates any risk of inconsistent decisions rendered in different proceedings. Of course, consolidation is not always appropriate, and Article 10 of the rules sets out the framework within which the ICC court determines whether or not to consolidate. Just to note, consolidation pursuant to Article 10 doesn't include situations where claims have been brought in a single arbitration under more than one contract or more than one arbitration agreement. Those are covered by Article 9. Article 10 was added in 2012, expanding the ICC court's power to arbitrate. Before then, cases could not be consolidated unless the parties agreed to do so. So the 2021 rules clarify that under Article 10b, a party may request consolidation of two or more arbitrations where these are commenced under multiple contracts, which contain the same arbitration clause. So really, the amendment in 10b is quite narrow. It's really just clarifying that there's consolidation if the claim is made under the same arbitration agreement or agreements, plural. It adds the plural word to clarify that point. And then Article 10c clarifies that consolidation is permitted even where the claims in the arbitration are not made under the same arbitration agreement or agreements, provided they're between the same parties, the dispute in the arbitration arise in connection with the same legal relationship, and the court finds the agreements are compatible. There was certainly a lot of discussion about this provision and the possibility that the amendments could have been much more dramatic, but ultimately it was determined that the changes would be very narrow. So for example, there is still the requirement that consolidation can only take place if the arbitration is between the same parties. And that was something that was discussed and debated significantly, but ultimately for predictability, it was decided to go this more narrow route. Yeah, that's great. I think, you know, for a lot of practitioners too, which which you still currently are, having that level of predictability is is important. Um, and certainly, you know, having the ability to join cases together where it makes sense is critical, but you also do want you do want to preserve that separateness and party autonomy and and all those other things that are important as well. Those are some very interesting changes and I think seeing how they play out will be very interesting as well. Now, let's move on to, to some of the other changes that have happened, and particularly concerning virtual hearings and electronic filings. Obviously, we are now 
in a new era post-COVID where everything has to be done remotely. And even though cost and efficiency were matters that were highly scrutinized before COVID and were things that people spent a lot of time focused on, the pandemic has really highlighted the need to conduct proceedings remotely and to communicate more easily. And that's a, that's a very important point as well. You know, the ability to do things by mail or in hard copy and multiple copies has become much more challenging. I myself the other day had to run down to a FedEx store to <laughs> send in hard copies of a, of a submission in multiple copies, and I found it to be quite a challenge on numerous levels. So, Claudia, how will the amendments to Articles 26 and Article 3 help accomplish that? Article 26.1 is a new provision and makes clear that the tribunal may decide, after consultation with the parties, to hold a hearing by remote means of communication, so what we commonly call a virtual hearing. Of course, this issue has arisen more frequently since the start of the pandemic and specifically arises if the parties have different views regarding whether to proceed with a remote hearing. The prior rules had language in English referring to a hearing, quote, in person that some people argued required hearings be held with everyone physically in the same room. Although we do know that some ICC tribunals proceeded with remote hearings under the existing rules, notwithstanding the objection of one of the parties, and the Austrian Supreme Court recently ruled that a remote hearing under the 2017 rules could go ahead. So the 2021 rules shift away from the presumption that pleadings and other written communications should be submitted in multiple hard copy for each party arbitrator and the ICC secretariat. What Article 3.1 now makes clear is it's no longer necessary to provide hard copies unless the submitting party expressly requests transmission of that request or answer by delivery against receipt, registered post, or courier. So hopefully, JP, if you were having to go to the FedEx to make multiple copies, it wasn't for an arbitration under the ICC rules. What the 2021 rules do is bring the rules in line with what is current ICC practice set out in the note due to the pandemic that has made clear that requests for arbitration, applications for emergency arbitration, for example, can only be filed by email. I know on a personal level, since the start of the pandemic, I've moved completely away from hard copies unless specifically required and now work completely remotely. So it really is a situation of emergency or necessity creating a new set of circumstances and adaptability. That's right. I should clarify, it was not actually, it was a submission, but not under the ICC rules. Excellent. Um, Good. <laughs> in fact, I'm drafting, um, I'm drafting some terms of reference right now that, you know, if we had to do these in hard copy, submissions would be very, very challenging. So I think as you, you're right, this is a function of necessity, but in some respects, it's also the rules, as you point out, catching up with existing practice, because I think more and more people have been recognizing the ease of doing things electronically and Certainly with very large submissions, it makes life much, much easier in many ways to be able to do things electronically. So that's great. And we'll all see how long remote hearings go on once we can be back in person. Yes. Now, let's move on to another hot topic, which is third-party funding. This has obviously been something that people have been talking about for 
the better part of a decade, both within the arbitral community and outside. But the rules now have an express provision dealing with this. What will parties under the 2021 amendments be required to disclose at the outset regarding third-party funding, and what will that accomplish? So the 2021 rules for the first time address third-party funding. It provides that to assist prospective arbitrators and arbitrators in complying with their disclosure obligations and duties of independence and impartiality, each party must promptly inform the Secretariat, the Tribunal, and other parties of the existence and identity of any non-party which has entered into an arrangement for the funding of claims or defenses under which it has an economic interest in the outcome of the arbitration. So when deciding on potential conflicts of interest, the ICC court considers as relevant relationships between arbitrators and any entity having a direct economic interest in the dispute. So this requirement does not require the disclosure of the funding agreement itself. We would anticipate that it would not require the disclosure of, for example, a loan that a company has gotten for general operations of the business. But if it has received a loan or some other sort of funding specifically for the claim or the arbitration itself, that would be the type of arrangement that would need to be disclosed. That's great. Thank you. I think it seems that there is definitely a trend towards increased disclosure of funding agreements. And it also seems that that's going to be an issue that will not be readily resolved anytime soon. So it's good to see that there's more certainty and clarity being put around the subject. Now, let's move on to one of the more unique amendments that's been made in the 2021 rules, and that's party representation. So Article 17 will now require parties to notify the Secretariat, the Tribunal, and other parties of any change in the representation of that party. And Article 17 allows the Tribunal to exclude new party representatives to avoid conflicts. Claudia, what prompted that change and and how will that work? Ultimately, we wanted to avoid a situation in which a party engages new counsel with the express purpose of creating a conflict for one of the arbitrators, thus prompting disclosure and potential challenge or withdrawal of an arbitrator, and then ultimately the potential for delay and disruption of the arbitration process. So while some of the other amendments are quite narrow in scope, This is something that is quite significant, but likely to be used only in very narrow and particular circumstances. So it's really then designed to prevent one of those what are colloquially called guerrilla tactics where someone tries to bring in new counsel to disrupt the constitution of the tribunal. Exactly. Well, good. I'm sure that's a welcome change as well. Let's move on then to Article 12 and inequality of tribunal appointments, because this is certainly an an interesting innovation as well. So Article 12 will now allow the ICC court to deviate from any agreement that the parties have reached about arbitrator appointments if that agreement would be unfair or would impact the award. Maybe you can tell us what prompted that change and how you envision that working. Sure. 
Under Article 12.9, the ICC court may appoint each member of the arbitral tribunal if the application of the party's arbitration agreement would lead to a significant risk of unequal treatment and unfairness and poses a risk to the validity of the award. So this isn't a situation where anyone should be concerned that the ICC court will just disregard the party's agreement regarding how the arbitration tribunal should be constituted in normal circumstances. It's really designed for the very specific situation in which there could be a view by a court that the award is not enforceable because of this unequal treatment and unfairness. So for example, you could have a situation where a clause provided that one party is entitled to appoint all the arbitrators and such a appointment process would not be viewed as enforceable in the court where the award would be enforced. And in those circumstances, the ICC court would make a determination that it should appoint all the arbitrators. This change reflects the principle upheld in the 1992 Duco decision in France, which concerned an ICC arbitration initiated by one party against two consortium members. And the rules at the time didn't contain a provision on joint nominations by multiple parties. And the ICC court ordered the two respondents who had opposing interests to jointly nominate one arbitrator while directly appointing the third arbitrator. And those respondents protested against the joint appointment and eventually brought this application to set aside the tribunal's award. And the court, the French court, reversed the decision of the Paris Court of Appeal that had refused to set aside the interim award and held that the constitution of the tribunal contravened international public policy as it had violated the principle of equity of treatment regarding the party's right to appoint an arbitrator. So this rule codifies what has been ICC practice to exercise its general power to appoint all the arbitrators in such circumstances, and now there's more transparency that the ICC court has the power to do so. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think that, again, highlights a really important change about these amendments, which is you know, giving parties more insight into specifically how things will work is definitely, definitely welcome and, and highly appreciated. So with that, those are some very significant changes. Claudia, are there any other highlights or changes that you want to highlight about the 2021 rules? I would just note that the 2021 rules expand the scope of application of the very successful expedited arbitration provisions. That's Article 30 and Annex 6. It increases the threshold for the opt-out application for the expedited provisions from 2 million to 3 million. So in other words, for arbitration agreements entered into after January 1st, 2021, if the amount in dispute is less than 3 million, they automatically fall under the expedited arbitration rules, which requires a award be issued within six months. 
rather than just the 2 million threshold. This change is expected to capture additional disputes and reduce the time and cost for their resolution. There was a lot of debate and discussion about whether the threshold should be higher, 4 million or even 5 million. Ultimately, there was a decision to increase it 50% to 3 million, and time will tell whether it will be appropriate to increase it further. But the change really reflects the success and satisfaction of the parties when their arbitrations have been under these expedited rules, and they have demonstrated that the award can be issued within this time period and the procedures can be such that an award can be done within this time. Yeah, that's a really welcome change in my view. I think the expedited rules have, you know, as you point out, been extremely successful. I know certainly clients that I've dealt with under those rules have been extremely happy. And I think they're very, very useful from a global perspective because one, the the number of cases that fall within that, the prior threshold was pretty substantial. I think it was in excess of 30 or maybe 40%. I'm trying to recall the exact statistic, but it was very, very high. And certainly there are parts of the world where you know what would be deemed a smaller dispute in one jurisdiction would still be very significant in another. So the ability to get that dealt with economically and efficiently is very, very important. Just to add two additional points, I mean, the parties can always opt in to the expedited rules. In fact, there has been a case where the amount in dispute was over $100 million and the parties opted in. The parties can, of course, opt out in their arbitration clause, and I've certainly seen that as a practitioner. Ultimately, I would submit that the expedited arbitration rules are a true answer to the legitimate concerns of the business community regarding the cost and time of arbitration. So these expedited rules really address those concerns. Well, that's great. And I guess we'll stay tuned in the future to see if the amount and controversy threshold gets raised. (laughs) But for now, we'll keep our eye on the $3 million marker. Thank you, Claudia, for your time. That concludes our discussion of the 2021 amendments to the ICC rules. I want to thank my guest, Claudia Solomon, for her insights, which are invaluable. And I want to thank you for listening in. You should feel free to reach out with any questions you might have. And we look forward to having you tune in for future episodes in this series. Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email Garaga at jia at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at Reedsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. All rights reserved.